You're listening to Dancing Around Elephants, a podcast that talks to dancers about the elephant in the room, dance injuries. I'm Dr. Danelle Dixon, a dancer turned physical therapist, and I currently work with dancers to work past their challenges and access the next level in their dance careers. I'm sitting down to talk with dancers about their journey, their injuries, and how they are successfully navigated past the elephant in the room. But I'm going a bit further. I want to talk about all the elephants in the dance room and shed some light on the things that affect many dancers that we seldom talk about. My goal is to change the way that we approach injuries and issues in the dance community, and it all starts with a conversation. Let's get started. So guys, so important that I really introduce to you guys this amazing artist, Shavar Montiero. So let's take a listen to his bio. Shavar Montiero, a native of Montclair, New Jersey, began his formal training at Sharon Miller's Academy of the Performing Arts. He went on to study at the Ailey School and later received a degree in dance from Purchase College at SUNY. During his time in college, he began his career with Sidra Bell Dance, New York, and Kevin Wynn's The Wynn Collection. After graduating, he joined Lisa Monte Dance for their 30th anniversary season and Kyle Abraham's Abraham in Motion. Montiero assisted Kyle on commissions for Emory University, Princeton University, Bernard College, Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and Wendy Whalen's Restless Creature. He also was a guest artist at Keywood and Company and Body Traffic. In the summer of 2014, Montero was invited to join Ailey 2 and was quickly promoted to the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater the following spring. In April 2019, Cheval was one of 75 dancers worldwide to participate in Immerse Cunningham's Trust Centennial event, Night of 100 Solos. Cheval has sought master classes around the world in many disciplines, including ballet, contemporary modern, improvisation, and Horton-based modern. He recently finished his first year as an adjunct professor of dance at Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. Cheval has presented his choreography at Sharon Miller's Academy of the Performing Arts, Il Mosley's Diversity in Dance, Hearts of Men, and the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. So excited to have him with us. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. D, Dr. Danelle Dixon, and we are here again with another episode of Dancing Around Elephants. And with me, I have Mr. Shavar Montero. So excited to have a conversation with him. I met this guy about two years ago. Am I right? Yeah. Two years ago while he was on tour with the Albany American Dance Theater. And his personality just jumped out at me. I'm being very honest, guys. I was just like, this man is cool, yo. <laughs> I would love to like dig into his brain and understand his processes and his information and his experiences. I thought he was a really cool person to talk to. And I'm actually really excited to talk to him because he has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience and some really special things that I think he has to share with us. And I'm excited to unpeel that with you guys. So welcome. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. I'm so, so excited. I actually, when I listened to your episode with Akua Noni Parker, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I cannot wait to have my own session. And I, I also had a flashback to that PT session where I got to meet you and mm-hmm. I was being tortured on that table. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to build strength and making sure that I had, you know, some exercises to get me through a long tour. So yeah, I'm very, very excited to chop it up. Woo, 
I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a pandemic <laughs> sort of mind state right now. Yeah. Um, I, if I'm going to be very, very candid, I don't really care about anything that's further than two weeks away. So, you know, it's like, while I am excited to get back on the stage, the world is such a mess that I'm not putting my hopes and dreams into something seven months away. I'm going to get excited when we get to like October, November. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's actually happening. I like that. That's called emotional conservation. You're putting, oh, yes. <laughs> you're putting all of the emotions right here, right now and focusing it on here. So you're not spread too thin. You don't get mm-hmm. stressed. You don't get worried or irritated. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen the way I think it's going to happen? Is it going to be exactly. What about you? You're not, you're putting all of that anxiety aside and you're mm-hmm. focusing in on the moment. I love it. Yeah. I might, I, I might adopt a couple <laughs> of certain things. I might steal that from you. Yes. I mean, the only downside is that I think it's so extreme mm-hmm. that it's like, Mm, it's not that I don't, I, I still enjoy hard work, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of like, why am I doing this right now? That, <laughs> so, which is not great because I still need to take the information, put it in my body in a way mm-hmm. where it's easily accessible when yeah. we visit it in the future. But yeah, emotional conservation is definitely where I find myself right now. You know what? I, I don't think it's a shabby idea. If if this wasn't a pandemic, I'd be like, oh, do we need to talk to somebody, Shavala? Like, what's going on? <laughs> but no, it's smart because the the emotional exhaustion that people have gone through after this and still is going through this, it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. And I think we all need different coping strategies to figure out how how am I going to be present? How am I going to be here? And uh, it sounds flippant when you say it out loud because, you know, people are like, well, why won't you care? Because it makes sense. That's why. Exactly. It makes sense. sense. You know, you just, you know, you live here right now and and you get to, you get to enjoy all of the intensity without the worry of it. You know, absolutely. I, I, as I said, I might be stealing that from you. How are you? How are you feeling? excited to talk but secondly i was at the dog park earlier with jacqueline harris Mm -hmm. um, uh, because we don't live too far from each other so we take our dogs out at the same time Mm -hmm. and i was telling her about like some of the questions that you um wrote out for me and just things to think about coming into this conversation and i'm really excited to talk about some of these things for the first time since uh this pandemic has really taking shape and morphed into all these different things and then also occupying the space of adjunct professor and the things that I've learned being on the other side of the room and being responsible for efficiently communicating ideas about how we can use our body classically Mm -hmm. but still feeling good in our bodies as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I am excited to have this conversation for sure. Good, good, good. Okay, Shavar. Tell me about yourself and how you came into dancing. Okay, well, I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. Both of my, I grew up in like a very religious household, growing up in the Baptist church. My father is still a reverend in that same church today. I have four sisters and 
So most of my extracurricular activities were church-based, but my first time seeing dance in a classical way that most people can reference was seeing Dance Theater of Harlem on Sesame Street. And I also, like most children, did not know how to sit still for too long. And so my first introduction to dance was just doing tap mm-hmm. at, a, at a local uh, dance studio in New Jersey. And then, you know, having lots of siblings, we all couldn't afford to do everything after school. So we did most of the things, again, in church where things were without cost. And then I found myself again, like learning hip hop and tap, but I didn't get my first real go in like my formative years or my formative training until I was going into high school. A woman named Sharon Miller grant blessed me with an opportunity to train at her academy in Montclair. And it was there where I was introduced to ballet and Horton and the Taylor Technique and West African and just a really diverse dance background. And it was around that same time that I saw the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater for the first time. I went to my first live dance performance and it wasn't until then that I understood that dance could be a real life profession. And it, yeah, and and surprisingly, I had a family that was very supportive of a career in the arts. So I was never really, I never really felt discouraged or deterred from pursuing what made my heart happy. And so I graduated high school a year early. And in my summers, I would go to the Ailey School Summer Intensive. And I found myself going to Montclair State University for one year before transferring to SUNY Purchase where I got my degree in dance in 2010. And it was there that I was introduced to improvisation and the core values of choreography and how to create a show from calling cues, light cues, to closing the curtain, playing music, all the things, as well as choreographing and casting and all of those things. It was also the first time that I was introduced to the way politics work or could work in a company atmosphere. It was the first time that I knew something like physical therapy existed, but in my youth did not take advantage of because I didn't feel like I had any ailments that were serious enough to get on the PT table. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my, I feel like my introduction to dance was very fast Mm -hmm. um, and successful and fun and free and, without any real turbulence until my college years where I was made aware of, you know, optics, how black people are seen, what is and is not marketable, mm. what what type of look can be or can help make you successful. I remember being in college and having hair just like I do today. Mm-hmm. and being cast in a balancing work, The Four Temperaments. And instead of the faculty member pulling me aside and just having a conversation about styles that I could do with my hair that could still be classical in a ballet, in a balletic sense, I was instead just taken out of it, never had a conversation about the why. Wow. I was just taken out and from that point on was called a modern dancer. And up until that point, I had been, I got my fair share of both ballet and modern 
roles in the program. And so it was the first time that I kind of was discouraged and kind of talked myself out of certain opportunities that I've always dreamt for myself. Wow. Uh, that I think, you know, where I would be one of the only black people there that's kind of one of the first insecurities that were planted into the back of my mind that made me think or rethink where I wanted to find myself after graduation. Whoa, well, you just didn't hold back at all. You just jumped <laughs> into the stuff. I love it. I love, love it. <laughs> I love it. No, and we are going to, we, we, we have to circle back to that because there are so many things to peel apart for that in terms of the experience of African African American or you know people of color in the world of ballet. You know, mm-hmm. where, where, what is our place? What does that look like? Is there a place for us? You know, there's lots to peel apart about that. And for a lot of young dancers, a lot of young dancers experience this with or without the color barrier in different aspects where there are where they're not given chances to actually or framework to succeed. And it's already predetermined by very superficial things, as is the nature of dance, whether you are good enough or not. Mm-hmm. And that fickle nature of dance, that very, that very intangible thing where if you just did one pirouette too much and the choreographer woke up on the bad side of the bed, you could be cut, you know, yeah. it leads to so much dysfunctional behavior in the world of dance, that is things we need to talk about. So you just put it all on the table. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) We got to talk about it. So let's go back a little bit, Shavar. Tell me about, what do you think was your breakthrough moment as a dancer? Mm. I think my breakthrough moment as a dancer was my first summer going to the the Ailey School Summer Intensive, Mm -hmm. where the studio that I went to while it was open and inclusive of all body types, ages, skill levels, it was the first time that I was injected into a space where it was pretty much a breeding ground for black excellence. I have never seen, I have never seen so many beautiful black people, my age and older and the alias and to start over. I went to the Ailey School when they were still in the old building. So it wasn't as separate mm-hmm. as it is yep. now. It wasn't as compartmentalized. I was able to have run-ins with the company, the second company, and the professional division and the junior division that I was a part of right. at the time. And so I really got to get immersed in not only how rich Mr. Ailey's legacy was, but also just how passionate the work was, just how un how relentless everything like the the hunger was to be great and so that was kind of like oh if I want this I really can't let up I really have to put the pedal to the metal and like really really go for this and it was exciting to work hard it was exciting to be two steps away from your biggest role model to have Miss Jamison looking in your classes and just just to see what's going on Mm-hmm. And so that was a breakthrough moment for me, really to understand that hard work can be rewarded mm-hmm. and that, and also it was my first time realizing, like being, uh, having a mother who's Jamaican, I knew where Black people could be from, like in terms of like Africa, the West Indies and America, 
but I didn't know about our brothers and sisters from the UK, South America, and like just how broad the diaspora really was until I was 15. Yeah, wow. And really getting to see just the connective tissue that dance serves as, you know? So that was like huge, huge, huge for me. Yeah, oh my God, listen. So the memories, there's a special fairy dust that people that dance in the old building have that nobody else does, let me tell oh, you. Yeah. Like there's nothing, cause I, I also did like a summer um, intensive there at Ailey. And I remember being like running into Duana Smallwood and was just like, ah, you know, like just <laughs> like, oh my God, like she's right there, you know, just like having yeah. that moment and the inspiration. There's something special about that that new students will never understand. I, mm -hmm. I thought. So it's I, I am with you there all the way. So let's let's dive into some other juicy stuff. Tell me about your first encounter with an injury that stopped you from dancing for more than one week. Oh, well, I don't know if this is lucky or not, <laughs> but my first, my first big injury mm -hmm. that kept me off of my feet for about a week wasn't until I joined Ailey. Mm -hmm. So my first few years in the company, a lot of the repertory was quick, fast jazz. There was so much jazz repertory from Tally Beatty to... Alvin Ailey to Billy Wilson to like, you name it, we were doing it, okay? And as humble as I can be, because I am a good turner and jumper and my legs go really high, I found myself cast in or double or triple cast in mm -hmm. almost everything. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I had been given the task of handling fatigue. You hear about it, you hear about being overworked, you hear about being tired, you hear about not being in your best body, but it's something else to be on stage and all of those things are happening at the same time and still have to produce something. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget, we were in, where were we? We were in Switzerland somewhere mm -hmm. And I was, I had just finished doing Center Man and I could just feel that something wasn't right in my calf, in my left calf. Cause like most choreographers, they're one-sided and they favor their good side. Yep. Which is never my good side cause I'm a lefty. Mm -hmm. So all of my pirouettes were on this left foot. I'm trying to bow after revelations and I'm limping. Like I can't even pick my left foot off of the ground. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I will never forget Mazazumi Chaya. For some reason, PT was two levels above stage level. Uh-huh. He he put me on his back. This 70 year old man put oh. me on his back and ca carried me up the steps because I couldn't walk. And I was crying and terrified because I had never felt such intense pain. Oh. Yeah. Before. I had never known what it was like mm -hmm. to not be able to take care of myself, to not be able to walk, to literally walk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the adrenaline had worn off and it was just like ridiculous. And I remember being off and also, you know, being in the company, being the one of the newest members in the company, I also felt the pressure to not have any days or to not miss any of my performances. Right. And putting the work on someone else's plate. Right. I felt culturally in the company that there's an unspoken energy that we all feel about having to pick up the slack for someone else. And I felt that 
on a whole other level. And so not only did I feel crazy about my calf, but then I was nervous about going into the dressing room after seeing Shay, Dr. Shay, Mm -hmm. and being worked on for however long and finding out that my bones weren't sitting right and all these things were going wrong. You know, being able to face them and be, you know, and seeing that the casting was gonna change for a week, just about, and that the newbie is the reason why, especially in a company where seniority is like the backbone of the culture, I felt crazy (laughs) not being able to handle my work. But I also feel that that level of stress, you know, with the oncoming, like with the onset of fatigue and all the things that you could feel not going right with your body was Mm -hmm. also a reason or a, a, a part of me not being able to advocate for myself because I didn't feel like I could. Right. I didn't know what that looked like or felt like right. at the time. Right. So it was like the body just responded and was like, if you won't say something, <laughs> I'm going to say something. I will. <laughs> oh, Lord. So was, and I feel like for the first few years of high intensity, jumping, turning on this left leg, mm-hmm. it was kind of like an on and off relationship with my ankle and calf yeah kind of had me out for a day back for a few weeks out for a week back for a month and it was like really really crazy but that also has a lot to do with tangent coming here we go so that (laughs) also has a lot to do with because I was young and impressionable and wanted to be a sponge to a lot of the feedback from my more seasoned and senior uh, peers, I also found myself internalizing some of the projections and maybe insecurities of older members who would say things like, it looks too easy. You need to make it look like work. You need to da 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 Which then made me go against some of my natural impulses which then led me to gripping, which led me to forcing things to, instead of just like resting in the things that my body did well and naturally, I found myself thinking, oh, is that a qualitative stylistic thing that Mr. Ailey would say? Is that, does that hold weight? Let me try it out. Which then led to my technique or the understanding of what I thought my technique was being let off track and then resulting in very, very weird <laughs> and not so great sensations in the body. Okay, let's, we gotta go back, we gotta go back. You said so much. What, what, tell me more about you make it look too easy. Tell me more about that, peel that apart for me. I feel so, and you know, and I say this with love, but again, I feel like there were, or not I feel, there were senior company members who would have things to say to me or people like me Mm -hmm. that could do steps easily and make it look like it wasn't hard work. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine that that's because it is hard work for them. And so they want to see something that doesn't really need to exist in order to do the step. Which then leads to, you know, if you're open to it and you actually try it out and again, internalize what it is that they're saying, because you want to see if there's worth to it, Mm -hmm. it then leads to things in your body not adding up, muscle groups working too hard or not enough, 
And then all of a sudden you're out for a week because you're trying to make your pirouettes look like something they don't need to look like. Mm. You're trying to make a kick or an adagio mm -hmm. look like more. And then you find yourself holding tension in parts of your body that mm -hmm. you never did before because yeah. you're trying to make it look like something. Yeah. Um, and also understanding that the people that were sharing those opinions with me come from a generation in dance where everything is a performance, everything is presentational, everything is about the person watching and not about your own internal experience wow. where things can feel good. Yeah. So, but it also gave me the opportunity once I found out, once I took the time to get back on two feet and rediscover what technique looks like and feels like in my body, you know, really being 10 toes down, no pun intended, and like saying, this is where my pelvis needs to be. Yeah. Doing pirouettes that look like adagio, even though we're moving allegro, mm -hmm. that's just what works for me and my body. And yeah. that's okay. If my pirouettes look sleepy to you, they look sleepy to you. To someone else, it's exciting because it looks like I'm not trying. Or, you know, whatever it is that you take uh, away from the way that we work qualitatively. Yeah. So exactly. it was a nice time to like, once I found out how things worked for my body, not being so moved by people's opinions that I'm willing to give up what I understand my foundation to be. So there is so much wealth in this in this tangent. So thank you for taking the time. <laughs> good one. So there's so much wealth in, in this because for a lot of young listeners and for a lot of young dancers, what you experienced at that level at a, very, at a really impressionable and vulnerable time is exactly what they are experiencing in the studio in their adolescent training. Mm -hmm. They are being pulled in different ways and, and, and it's a little bit of a different scenario, of course, but, but the construct of having someone say, hey, you need to be different even though they may be feeling different things in their bodies happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly one of those doors that opens to injuries. Literally yesterday and a little bit of today, I had a conversation with a dancer who has gotten back into dancing too soon. So she was doing well, she had a little bit of a hip thing. And then all of a sudden she magically had on the other side, this weird hamstring strain, weird thing that kept going bad. The driving factor is a choreography because they are doing this weird, crazy Russian choreography because they are now like, it's COVID people are out. We want to impress people. Mm. Sad, you know, we wanted to look a certain way. And she's like, well, they want me to rehearse five days for five days, do the whole thing fill out for five days before the performance. And I'm like, no, why, why would you do that? A, you have an injury and B, why? What, what does that accomplish? Like that, it doesn't make any sense. If you had to run a marathon, would you run a marathon five times before you did it one time? That makes no sense. Like you're gonna get injured. You're already injured. And you can tell that she's processing it and she knows what the answer is, but she needed me for validation. Mm. Say, no, don't do that. Do, do something else. And I had to get the parents involved and be like, y'all are paying for this. We, we, we not going in this direction. We're gonna go left. I understand that there's a lot of pressure and she doesn't need to fight this battle because she's mm -hmm. a teenager you'll need to step in here and save her a little bit and make sure that she's getting the right guidance. And it's so interesting that even though you've made it to the amazing Alvin Ailey, that these pressures in the dance world still exist 
where people want you to conform to what they want to look like mm -hmm. or, or doing things or techniques the way that they want to. And you have to constantly be strong as yourself and a dancer to know your body. And most, most importantly, to listen to your body, to make sure that you're staying true to your art form, but also saving yourself from injury. I think this is gold. This mm -hmm. is awesome. Thank you for that tangent. That was great. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so in all of this, who do you think was the best person to seek advice from? What sort of advice that you were given with this category? Mm -hmm. Let's go back to that a little bit. So my favorite people to get advice from mm -hmm. while they were still in the company, mm -hmm. Glenn and Linda Sims, the mm -hmm. power couple. <laughs> they, I mean, they've been, they, <clears throat> for 20 plus years, almost 25 years, the both of them, Mm -hmm. They've masterfully jumped from style to style. They've nursed injuries. They've taken care of their bodies. They've been able to, and then also be beautiful humans and just be a, a wealth of knowledge for anybody that's curious mm -hmm. and interested to have conversation with them. And so it was during that time that I would be able to go into their dressing room or even visit them in their hotel room if we weren't in New York and just ask questions. What do you think about when you do this section in Revelations? Mm -hmm. How do you work? What, what, are, what are things that you do before or instead of mm -hmm. ballet to get you ready for a performance? As Ailey is a company, a repertory company where you jump from style to style in one evening. Mm -hmm. You can do up to three ballets in one night and not one of them <laughs> is the same style. <laughs> so what are the things that you find work well for your bodies? Understanding that that might not resonate with me, but mm -hmm. still being open again to trying things. And that's when I was introduced to floor bar. Yeah. That's when I was introduced to gyro, uh, gyrokinesis. That's when, and, and that's also when they would sometimes you know, they said, are you comfortable with me giving you feedback every once in a while? If I come and watch something from the side of the stage on a night that I'm off, are you, are you open to feedback during a performance, after a performance, blah, 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 blah. And we started a beautiful relationship where they, I, they were open enough and felt comfortable enough to just come up to me and say, you're tucking, your knees are bent. And that's why there's a lot of stress in your calves and ankles. Mm. Oh, you're doing this. It looks like your hip is up too soon and da, 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 da. So yeah. maybe that's why you're feeling this type of way. Yeah. This looks like this could be easier if you do one thing at a time instead of everything at once. And so that's when things really started to settle. I would even ask them to watch me take class. Well, I mean, when they had the time, you know, because they were also still actively performing. Right. But it was the two of them that I felt really helped um, uh, shape what I understand my preferences to be and how I prepare for the day. Mm -hmm. It was also, I mean, I never really believed in showing up and just jumping into something without at least touching my toes. Yeah. But it was through their, it was through their example yeah. where, he was, where Glenn was like, I, even if I know I'm going to mark all day, I'm giving myself a full class. Because mm -hmm. those are the days where something you get one tick and your back is out <laughs> for a whole week. So it was through their example and their passion and their consistency throughout all the years. Yeah. I went from seeing them on stage. I went from seeing them, my first Ailey performance, and they were on stage. 
Mm-hmm. And then years down the line, they're my coworkers. Yeah. Mentors. And it was like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And it was also through having conversations with them that I kind of started to take ownership of a lot of things. What does what does success look like for me? Mm. What is a what is a successful performance for me? Yeah. How do I want to approach a performance? Do I want to be super calculated? Do I want to just go for the gusto in terms of an emotional performance and really going there in terms of character development? Or do I want to marry the two? Yeah. Do I want to just try something I've never tried before and ask for forgiveness later? And it was through watching them and other senior members um, and even people that joined after me, just taking note of how people move through performance that I started to like shape my preferences or my taste level. Mm-hmm. And also just take ownership of what, how things feel and look on my body and not budge. Yeah. So Shabar, I'll say this. And so far, and, and I mean, I, I usually say this at the end, but I've, I've interviewed quite a bit of people. And I always say that I can tell the difference between dancers and the artists. Mm. Conversation that we are having right now is definitely that of an artist and guys that are listening these are the things that you need to really pay attention to. The dance is a technician. My mm-hmm. two cents, uh, I'm going to own it. Buy what you want with those two cents. But the dance is a technician. The real evolution, I think, and the beauty of dance is really being able to grow in that space and that framework that you've worked so hard for mm-hmm. and to really be able to express yourself and understand your body and understand your person and how you show up in that space each and every time. Mm-hmm. And to be able to have that dynamic growth happen from performance to performance, from rehearsal to rehearsal, and to have those relationships is definitely the journey of an artist that I'm seeing painted in front of me. So thank you for sharing that with us. That's oh my gosh, thank you. Thank awesome. You. I love it. I, I love also it. have to give props real, real fast. Because while I've, I feel like people, people have started to pay attention to the work that I've contributed to the dance space since joining Ailey, but I feel like a lot of the major seeds that were planted in terms of my work ethic and just my love to tackle the same thing over and over again and find something else in mm-hmm. the mix had everything to do with my career straight out of college with Kyle Abraham mm-hmm. for about four to five years where it was a project-based company and it was through his encouragement and his mentorship as well where I was encouraged to see as many performances as I could, talk to as many people as I could, take as many classes and styles as I could and find the value in everything, even if I think I'm never going to see it or do it again. So it was through him and the people that were my coworkers at that time as well that really helped me step outside of just Mm -hmm. being somebody who executes movement well and finding out how to make things juicier. Yeah. And, and I tell my dancers all the time, y'all want to see a story. Yeah. See no legs, there's gymnastics for that. We don't care about that. We care about it. We don't care about it. We want to <laughs> people something. We want, to, we, want, we want the juicy stuff. We want, to, we want to start squirming in our chairs when you step out onto stage, like, like tell us something. And you can't do that without the growth, man. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't do it. So I'm loving this conversation. Let's take a little bit of a dive back before for a second and go back to that injury. Mm. Who did you feel was the best person to help you and why with, mm. that, with that specific calf injury? 
for that specific calf injury. Mm -hmm. Honestly, Dr. Shea. Dr. Shea, I feel like by that point, I had cried on her table enough times. <laughs> we had opened up and I, I was comfortable enough with her. And she ha- I feel like, one, I trusted that she knew that I wasn't on her table for no reason. Mm. I feel like a lot of the time, us dancers guilt ourselves for being injured. Well, depending on the type of dancer that you are, mm-hmm. sometimes we feel less than. Mm-hmm. when we're incapacitated. Right. Sometimes we feel guilty about being injured in the first place when sometimes nobody, there is no there is no cure to overuse besides rest. Like there's no, there's, I, in my book at least, it's like if, if something is overworked, yes, like good technique can help sustain the demand, mm-hmm. but the vessel has to rest. Yes. But with that specific thing, it was with without Shay, I wouldn't have known that bones weren't sitting correctly, mm-hmm. that the calf was just overworked. I wouldn't have understood what fascia was. I mm-hmm. wouldn't have understood the importance of not just rolling out the, the bottoms of your feet, but really getting in there and loosening things up and the top of the foot and like just how 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 much more intimate of a practice I could have with getting my body ready before something. I understood the after, yeah. I understood the baths and the rolling out, but only to a degree. Mm-hmm. And so it was through working with Dr. Shea and having conversation and also developing language, you know, mm-hmm. being able to put language behind sensations and being able to talk about where things are happening and not just use my imagination and come up with something that doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> Try to get the point across. Mm-hmm. So on a physical level, that was the biggest help. And then on the other side of that, the emotional support came from my roommate mm-hmm. at the time who was the assistant company manager. So she was not a dancer or with the company. She is a dancer, but she was not a dancer with the company. And it was just nice to be able to come home to a roommate that had a different set of priorities and grievances (laughs) for the day. (laughs) And being able to kind of like take my mind out of it and not think about the would'ves and the should'ves and the could'ves mm-hmm. and just be gent and just have, and we could be each other's soundboards and be gentle with each other. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And guys, for those guys that are listening, Dr. Shea is the physical therapist for the Alpha Navy American Dance Theater, just for context there. So what did you learn about injuries in relation to that event and how did it guide your career? You've expanded a little bit on this in terms of what you just said, mm-hmm. but tell us more about how, how did that experience guide your career? Well, first, first and foremost, mm-hmm. I learned what advocating for myself could look like mm-hmm. about how sometimes you have to activate that throat chakra and talk. Sometimes it's not about demonstrating in your body like, oh, I'm limping. Oh, I'm in discomfort. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Because sometimes if you're a formidable dancer, all of those antics don't matter because you still did well on the floor. You did well enough on the floor yeah. that this really could just be hysteria. 
Mm-hmm. So I learned that you have to put the money where the mouth is and really go to the powers that be and say, my bot, I need you to take me out of one out of the four ballets I have to do tonight. I can't walk without discomfort. Mm-hmm. Or I need you to take me out of the show completely. Wow. Or, or going to the, you know, whoever is in charge of casting and say, I'm concerned about the way that you've cast this season because while I'm excited and grateful for all this opportunity, I'm not Superman. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to fall out one day. I don't want to speak that into existence, but I'm only one person. Right. Human body. And the spirit is willing, but the body's not always able. So <laughs> let's, let's cool our jets a little bit and rethink, <laughs> rethink what this casting looks like. And I, so that's like, especially in a company that is so large yeah. and tours as much as Ailey does. That's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned that I exercise without even thinking twice, if, if I need to. In terms of my own physical, in terms of my own practice, mm-hmm. that's when my, that's when I would warm up twice as long. Yeah. I would warm up twice as long. Mm-hmm. There was no such thing as being too thorough. Mm-hmm. Day. Yeah. Again, because a typical Ailey schedule, excuse me, a typical Ailey schedule, you would be maybe rehearsing for six hours mm-hmm. with an hour break before a performance. And then you're in everything that night yeah. and every rehearsal that afternoon as well. Right. And so I would get to the theater an hour and a half, two hours before rehearsal starts. And I'd be rolling out, maybe doing a meditation, praying, you know, depending on the day that it was. And just really preparing mind, body, and spirit for the day ahead. And then also in terms of, you know, fortifying my technique, I really took the time to really figure out what, where my body needed to be to not only be consistent, but to feel good. Yeah. We can be a machine all we want, but if things aren't lined up and working efficiently, it doesn't matter how big and powerful the machine is, it's going to break down. Yeah. And so I really found the time to figure out where does my pelvis need to be for mm-hmm. maximum range of motion? How do I want to put my feet into the floor? Right. How do I want to absorb the floor from a jump? How do I want to push away from the floor to be in my best relevé? And so really thinking, really repurposing what integrity looks like mm-hmm. so that when I'm on stage, like you said, I don't want to look like a technician on stage. So if I train and treat my body with integrity, I don't have to think about things on stage. I can just rely on the fact that everything is in the right place. And all I have to do is worry about having fun. Yeah. Yeah. This is so, this is so powerful. Shavar, let's talk a little bit more and another tangent guys, because this is just so juicy advocacy. Like, mm-hmm. how did you learn to go to your rehearsal director mm-hmm. or to have these difficult conversations? Because this is something that I can honestly say that seasoned dancers 20, 30 years still don't do. Mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you develop that skill? How did you develop that, the courage and, and the wisdom to say, no, this is how I want to navigate my career. And I'm going to use my voice instead of letting my body do all the talking. I'm bigger than this. I, 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 am in, I am in control of this situation. 
yeah, because there's so many fears and pressures that dancers experience specifically in a tour situation, specifically in a company situation, when you know they have like this is the moment, you know. So how did you how did you develop that skill? Mm-hmm. Well, being in a company like Ailey, mm-hmm. I feel that there is definitely a rhythm that everybody expects, especially if you've been there for a while and you see how things work you kind of start to expect certain things to work a certain type of way. And not to sound cliche, but I really do feel like Ailey is a family in the sense that we do look out for each other. We are cognizant of the ways that people are worked harder than others or whatever. And so I, you know, sometimes I would come into the dressing room to do another costume change to go on stage again and, you know, some of my coworkers would come up to me and see how tired I was, or they would know how crazy my calf was or whatever part of my body was out of commission. They knew because we're all in the same space. Yeah. There's no real sense of privacy, no matter how uh, <laughs> private of a corner we try to, we try to make the physical therapy booth to be Uh, there you know people are coming in and out for tools for questions for this for that and so we all kind of know what's going on with each other and so it was you know in one of those moments of distress where a co-worker will come up to me and say you know I was in your shoes before or I thought I was worked hard but they're running you through the ringer and I think is worth going up to at the time Mazazumi Chaya or, or Matthew Rushing or someone that they, you would feel not only would hear you, but had the power to change the casting with the magical, what we call the green pen. Usually at Ailey, the green pen is something that you would see when it's either a, a program change or a casting change. You would see somebody's name crossed out in green ink and then a name in green ink written over that little edit and so you would usually go to so I was advised to go to one of those people that could make those changes happen to not only protect my my body but to also make sure that I still had a heart that loved the job that I was blessed with yeah. instead of having a little bit of resentment and coming to work just to collect a check and not really loving and taking advantage of the legacy that was laid out before me yeah and so that's kind of where but I still didn't know what that meant fully until, you know, I was out for more than a day or two. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I really need to exercise my voice and say, I cannot do this, or I don't feel comfortable when figuring out and not being scared of what pushback might be. And just trusting that if I lead with the heart that they one know that it's not laziness yeah. They know that it's not arrogance, but it's really being truthful about what it is that you feel you can handle at any given time. Yeah. And that is, and that is such, the, the dance world is so rife with that concept of like, well, you're arrogant to say anything. Who are you? You're a student or mm-hmm. you are a family member. You are blessed to be here. Do you know how many people can replace you? We can have someone in your spot tomorrow. That fear is so endemic in the dance world Mm -hmm. it really skews people's better judgment Mm 
-hmm. And I think it is such a credit for you, even at this stage of your career to have developed that voice because so many dancers never do. You know, as I said, I've interviewed quite many people and I've had seasoned professionals who are retired teaching still say, oh, yeah, I danced with injury. I never said anything. Um, you know, that, that just wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. you know, so it's so encouraging and so exciting to hear you say that you, you know, you wanted to be true to yourself. You knew the work that you put in. You wanted to be present. You wanted to enjoy your career. You don't want to be resentful of having been injured and just collecting a check. And right. you really wanted to be present for the legacy that you were experiencing. So you knew that your voice had to serve a purpose of making sure that you were there 100%. So That's I absolutely love that. Whoa, that was so much to unpack and digest, guys. I hope this was such an amazing and helpful conversation for you to digest as a dancer, listening to the world ins and outs of how this amazing artist has traversed his life. Please join us for part two of this conversation. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Dancing Around Elephants. I would love if you can share this podcast and leave a review. People that leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms that take just 60 to 90 seconds to show some love and give context to others about why this conversation is important means the world. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. Do you want resources to start becoming the best dancer that you can be? Click on the link and access Dr. D's Dance Toolbox. So many amazing tools, including my signature program, Dance Bridge Online, to get you bulletproof from dance injuries. Also, if you know of a dancer that you'd like me to interview for this podcast, shoot me a message at info at 3ptdc.com and share your thoughts. Catch you next time.